Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Is what I long for overcome by your presence, Lord. How many of y'all trust him? How many of you want your life filled with him? How many of you is he more than enough in your life? Or is that that's it? Is he more than enough in your life? Amen, 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 amen. We bless the Lord today and thank God for his mercy. And we also thank God for our mothers. Mothers, stand. Let's honor our mothers this morning. Come on. Come on, mothers. Amen, 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 amen. Where would many of us be without our mother? Amen. We thank the great God for all your sacrifices um, and all of uh, the ways that we don't know that you've spent hours and been up for us. We thank God for our mothers and for those like me whose mother is no longer here. I um, empathize with you. I don't grieve today because I get the honor of knowing where my mom is and my grandmother, those who raised me. And so um, I hope, I, don't, I, I know people say, I know they're looking down. We don't know that. Um, uh, you know, we're making up theology. but. All, Maybe God showed them a picture of something, but um, I don't know. I think when they see Jesus, they don't care about their children no more, to be honest. I'm just, I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> they, they like, he in, they in his hands now, I'm, and I'm in his, and so, but we thank God and we pray for those who grieve. The Bible says grieve with those who grieve, and so we grieve with you today. Amen. Uh, it's a lot of people, gra- I'm seeing gown, cap and gowns all over the place this spring. Why don't you stand up, if you're a graduate, of anywhere, amen. Yes, 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 y'all. Amen, congratulations to all these. Some of y'all were sneaking and getting degrees. I saw y'all on Facebook. I didn't even know some people getting PhDs and MEDs and master's degrees and CEDs and ABCs and one, two, threes. And I praise God for every one of you working hard, I just pray that God would shape purpose into the degree so that it's not just a piece of paper on the wall, but it would be God would shape purpose in your life and utilize it so you didn't just do that education for nothing, then you go off doing something else. Don't spend all that money and time and don't use it. We pray God would use it as a throttle in some way for you to honor him and be good to all men in how you use your degree. Amen. Amen, amen. I want to acknowledge a friend here with me, with his family, the Waddles family. I went to school with him. Stand up, Waddles family. This is, amen. It's Pastor Waddles. They're from the Midwest, and his daughter graduated from UPenn. Uh, and so we're thankful for them and thankful for he and his wife uh, being with us. I remember uh, the old days of the little apartments in Dallas, Texas. And so it's good to see friends have been friends for decades and he's pastoring doing a great job as a matter of fact my book that's coming out October 2nd his mother is the editor for it 
So, um, so she's editing my book, telling me where I'm wrong and where I need to switch stuff around. And she's doing a great job of helping me to, uh, uh, she's doing a lot of work. She's listening to sermons, adding, it's crazy. Just amazing. E editors have a level of patience that I don't understand how they have. But hopefully this will be a resource that helps tons of people. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Don't forget um, the Diamond Festival is coming up. Uh, we're going to be having a vision night on the 30th. Here, well, we'll be talking about where we are, where we're going, and then what our, our financial needs are. And y'all know when we talk about finance, we talk about purpose. Somebody say purpose. And, and we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. We got the Diamond Festival, but then we're trying to get a facility. Um, and we'll be talking about the spiritual side of what we need to be doing. We're doing the natural diligence, but we also have to have spiritual diligence. Somebody say spiritual diligence. No matter what you believe in God for, the enemy does not want you to get it. And so if you don't, if you, can, you can fill out paperwork and do all of those other things, but the devil's not concerned about paperwork. He's concerned about impact. And so you got to do the spiritual disciplines that unlock and break down strongholds and doors that would work against what God has for the people of God to do. And we know that the gates of hell won't prevail against it, but sometimes some things come by fasting and prayer. How many of you know that in your sanctified soul? Amen. Amen. When... Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 through 35. Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 to 35. One, two, three, go. Amen. This Mother's Day in our family series, Shaping Generations, I'd like to talk about I'm still chosen. I'm still chosen. Look at somebody beside you. Say, neighbor, whether you know it or not, no matter what you go through, on this planet, based on heaven, you're still chosen. They're not feeling you. They're not feeling you on that side. Go to the person on the other side of you and say, neighbor, I don't want you to lose your mind based on what you're going through. Even though you're rejected in man's eyes, in God's eyes, I'm still, and you still, chosen. Put your hands together for God. Amen. Amen. Father God, we need to know this truth today, particularly mothers. And so God, will you shape us today and will you do work in our lives so that we hear your word and see the big picture of what you're doing in our lives. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm still chosen. Um, dealing with the idea of being chosen many times 
you have to recognize and embrace the fact that rejection is a reality in your life. Anybody in here ever experienced rejection before? Anybody, anybody ever had something that they really wanted, uh, but doors just kept closing on you and stuff just kept happening to you that impacted your ability to fully get what you want, but then the other side of it, that, that type of rejection is interesting. It, it's harder when it's identity rejection. Not that they rejected your hands or your feet, but they rejected you. And that's a different level of rejection. But it, rejection is normal in the natural and the spiritual. Interestingly enough, Cindy Portier, in his first audition, was told by the casting director, why don't you stop wasting people's time and go out and become a dishwasher or something? Sidney Poitier. But he got an Oscar later, and he caught the vapors. Y'all don't know nothing about that. <laughs> Steven Spielberg was turned down three times by the University of Southern California, California for theater, film, and television school. We talking about the dude that did E.T. and Saving Private Ryan and all of those different movies got rejected from field school. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. <laughs> Rejection, right? I mean, it's crazy. Um, don't judge me for this one, but this still is a good story. J.K. Rowland, you know, I know some of y'all think I'm, you know, she did Harry Potter. Was, sat, uh, was, was basically fired as a secretary because she was daydreaming all the time. And she was then rejected by 12 publishers after writing Harry Potter. And then finally one publisher gave her a chance and now she's a billionaire. Uh, uh, um, um, you, you can't let rejection define you. Rejection should never define you because if you let your identity be found in rejection, what will begin to happen is you won't see that God still has a last laugh and the last word in your life. You can't let those who rejected you, you can't let those who frustrated you, you can't let those who push you aside put you in a position to act like you're worthless, act like you don't have anything and don't have the ability to be the best of what God wants you to be for his honor, for his glory, and for man good. Don't let your rejection get to you. And so many of us, though, act like, you know, rejection ain't, you know, we, we don't care about certain things, particularly rejection. We, you know, some of us are so nonchalant. <clears throat> but many of us don't feel our insecurity and in how much we wanted something until we were rejected. And once you've actually experienced the rejection, God exposes how attached your affections were to the thing or person that rejected you. And, and, and so God uses sometimes rejection as a way to expose your heart for what you really want, them or him. <clears throat> but some of the people on the planet that's, to me, some of the most rejected people on the earth are women. Women are some historically the most rejected and debilitated by culture, society, and men in the world. What's interesting about women is women are overworked and underpaid. Oh, y'all ain't said, see, okay, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Women are expected to be consistent, but experience the greatest amount of unfaithfulness. <laughs> Women are, are bring balance to everyone else's life and many times are off balance and have no one to do the same for them. <laughs> Women pour out on everybody else, but no one's pouring into them. 
Others get to abandon things, but women have to remain glued. Many of you have been the consistency in the midst of inconsistency that God has used generationally as a generational stabilizer of households. But I've come here today to just let you know in the midst of all your rejection, in the midst of all your frustration, God hasn't forgotten about you. God hasn't forgotten about you and he is going to do something in your life that's powerful to reward you despite your rejection. Uh, um, um, so we come to this passage, and this is an interesting passage and a pericope because this is the patriarchal period of the Bible. And in the patriarchal period of the Bible, men have been talked about since Adam. The, the, the only thing you've mostly heard about women so far in the Bible is, is bad stuff. Eve uh, was deceived, and Sarah laughed at God. You, you've heard a lot of bad things about women, but there seems to be a Holy Spirit interruption to let people know that the Bible doesn't put women down. It also builds them up. And so right here in this passage, it goes from patriarchal to matriarchal. It, 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 just these few verses are, are, are a matriarchal portrait of God's commitment to make sure that women know that God is concerned about them contributing to redemptive history. And so here in this passage, we come here and we recognize that prior to this, her husband, Jacob, Leah, uh, uh, her husband was a trickster. That was his thing. So, you know, he stole the blessing. He stole the birthright. And now he is being impacted by the, the, the law of sowing and reaping in life. And so in chapter 29, if you do something dirty, just know dirtiness is coming back on you. Don't, don't think you're going to, that's why the Bible says, be not deceived for God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that which you also shall reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. So Jacob is experiencing the law of the harvest. And here in this passage, um, Jacob in chapter 29, his uncle, he went down running from his brother Esau, uh, and, and he went down, and, and he's getting with his uncle. His, his dad, Isaac, said, yo, go down to your, your grandfather's house, your mom's pop's house. Go down, find your uncle Laban, chill with him for a minute. Get you a wife and chill. Boom. Jacob gets there, chills, sees a little honey dip, like, wow, want to marry her. So he sees her, wants to marry her. Uncle, like, cool. Let's throw a party. You know, they throw a party, everybody party and everything, you know, getting their, getting their party on. Then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, there's a time which is really weird because we wouldn't understand it culturally, but they had a tent and everybody knew when the marriage was going to be consummated. Weird. I don't relate to it. But Pop said, put all the fire out, put, put the campfire out, make sure ain't no lights on. They're like, now, Rachel. Not now, baby. But Ted, no, no. You're not married. Leah, come here. And Leah comes over. She's now, baby. We're going to just slide you in there. And, you know, come out after, you know, boom. She goes in. She goes in. Jacob wanted Rachel. Laban slips Leah in. Now, as attracted as he was, to Rachel, somehow he didn't know <laughs> that Leah was in there. Woke up in the next morning, what have you done to me? He's like, my bad son, my bad nephew. And, and around this, this, in our hood, this is how we roll. <laughs> Oldest daughter first, second daughter second. So you gotta work. So he worked seven years to get her, so Leah, has to deal with the fact 
that a marriage has been consummated with her by someone that doesn't love her. Not only that, she has a man that's providing for another woman for him to marry him while she's married to him. The type of stuff that a lot of women have to put up with, the type of rejection that many women have to put up with, we see deeply in this passage, which brings me to my first point. If you're going to recognize that you are still chosen, number one, you got to recognize that God loves to exalt the rejected. God loves to exalt the rejected. Look at verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw Leah was unloved. Stop right there. It's interesting here that um, seeing, God seeing as a, I wish I could do a series on the sight of God. I mean, I mean, God, there's a big theme throughout the Bible of God seeing stuff. Now, you got to understand when God looks at something, he doesn't just look at it. See, God sees interdimensionally every aspect of who you are. Help me today. In other words, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you and make up stuff based on who you are and what you do. See, when God looks at you, he looks at your mind, the inner workings of your soul, your spirit, what's impacting you, who's impacting you, who they are, how you're working through, thoughts, actual and potential based on different thoughts and decisions that you would make and the ever-living conclusions of each one, what this hairdo will look like and how the hair will grow in this position. He knows everything about you. He sees, he sees, he sees. And, and, and when God sees, I, I, one of my favorite passages, two passages on God seeing is 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord, there it is, roam throughout the earth to show strong support to those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him or whose heart is his. It means he looks around for people to just throw himself on, to throw his blessing on, and to love on in a powerful way because he loves it when someone is unadulteratedly and tenaciously committed to him. And then Proverbs 5, 21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes, the Lord's eyes, and he considers his paths. And so when God sees stuff, God, 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 when God says, I see you with something deep, it reminds me of that great movie, Avatar. In an avatar, there was an idiom that they would use, the blue people, the big blue people, remember that? Some of y'all seen it, go see it, it's real good. They would say, I see you, I see you. And what did they mean by that? I looked it up. It says, until they believe that when you say you see some, someone, they begin to exist once you see them. Which means when, 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 when I see you coming to this, in other words, you can be in the eyes of people but not be in the eyes of God and not exist because he's the one that gives life. But, 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 but you, you, Leah was in a position where we're going to see here that she was unloved. This word unloved means to hate. In other words, her sister rejected her and her husband rejected her. And so, but in the midst of this, God does something in the midst of the rejection of other people. Um, it says, God saw that Leah was unloved, and guess what he did? He opened her womb. Know what I like about this is Leah didn't ask for it. Whenever someone is rejected, God always does something to balance out the rejection that you're experiencing. In other words, God wants you to not let the natural rejection that you're experiencing 
dumb down the reality of what your value really is because whenever you're rejected and whenever you're broken, God always wants to ascribe to you value. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 37 and Psalm 51 that God is near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, God loves to take his throne out and scoot next to those who are broken and those who are frustrated and experiencing rejection and pour his life onto them. So we look in here and we see Leah in this astronomical predicament where she's broken and God opens her womb. I like what it says because it says he opened her womb and when he opened her womb, it says, and Rachel could not bear children. This doesn't mean that he didn't love Rachel, but what he wanted to do was interbalance and counterbalance what Leah was experiencing. And when he opened her womb, it says, but Rachel was unable to conceive. And this says, Leah... Leah gave, uh, conceived, gave birth to a son named Reuben. This is beautiful. Because names meant a lot back then. They're not like us today. That sounds good. I want to name my child that. I name my, my child. I want me to name my child that. You know? You know how we do. That's a cute name. That's a cute name. Right? But in the Bible, they didn't go by cute names. They went by what they were experiencing or destiny that they were wishing on that child's life. In other words, they believed a name could be something to attain to or mark a child so that that child can have something to attain to and reflect in the whole of their life. And so right here in the passage, she names him Reuben. It's interesting that she names him Reuben because it means look a son. But, but, but you would think that in the midst of this, what Leah says something interesting in the midst of it, she said, well, what, what, what does she say? She says, for the Lord, she said, the Lord has seen my affliction. Now, that's a good place to stop, Leah. You don't have to go any further because you saw in the midst of your rejection, in the midst of your frustration, that even in the midst of that, God sees you. And so she embraces the fact, oh, God sees me in my affliction. Hallelujah. But, but the problem with this is when God, when she, she gives a theological proclamation, then has carnal application. Because what happens is, is she knows that God sees her, but she's looking to get sight from her husband. In other words, be careful. Uh, th th she said, now my husband will love me. Don't ever use it. Let me tell you something. You shouldn't have to do anything for somebody to love you. You, you, have, to, you have to be careful of spending your life trying to get the approval that God has already given you. And, 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 and many, many a women, you fight with some janky jokers. And you're trying to get him to love you over and over and over again. And, and you'll find yourself in the place of Leah uh, uh, trying to find identity in the place of rejection. And so here, she, she's wanting, she's wanting and, and looking for love in the place of rejection, not knowing how ferociously committed to her God is. Yeah. One of the ways, mothers, you need to know that God is ferociously, lady, committed to you. And you have to stop posting things and positioning yourself to say, love me, look at me, I I'm lovable, look at me, I'm a good woman. No, you don't have to put all that stuff out there to let somebody know that you're a good woman. You, you, you're a good woman because you serve a good God. 
God makes you good. And so, and so, and so, and so, so, so Leah, but she looks to her husband and say, maybe he will now love me unconditionally. How can you expect unconditional love when you're expecting him to love you based on something you did? Unconditional love is despite what you do. So if he loves you based on what you give him or do for him, that means it's conditional love. Therefore, you don't want anybody expressing love for you if it comes from what you did versus who you are. You, you, let me tell you something. We have to be loved. Listen, and if you've been married for any time, you, you got to know that it's got to be based on agape. I don't care how fine, how glorious, how rich. Agape at the centrality of the ministry. Verse 33, she conceived, she had a baby. And then next, it says, she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, the Lord heard that I am unloved and has given me a son also. This son also, she named him Simeon, mean hearing. Shema is what his name comes from. And so here, she says afterwards, she says, the Lord has heard that I'm unloved. And so she said, he's given me another child. And so she's looking again for affirmation in her husband that God has already given to her. Verse 34 says, she conceived again and gave birth to a son. Then she says, at last my husband will become attached. Somebody say attached. Attached to me because, listen, because I have borne three sons to him. Now in the midst of all of this, Rachel isn't having any children. Leah's having all the children. It's funny that she keeps sleeping with a man. It's not working. I, that's a word for somebody. It's not working. It's not working. Stop trying to give love by giving lust. You can't get love out of lust, ever. Whatever you sow in, you get back. And it's funny how, how a dude could just, I don't like you, but I still sleep with you. That was Jacob. Anyway, the lights were on all them other times. That first time it wasn't, so you could act like it was something else. Salah. Then she said right here, she says, at last my husband will become attached to you. It, 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 it's interesting. She, she names her son Levi, which means to join. Not the same word in Genesis. The word in Genesis, uh, the two shall be joined or become one flesh, is a, uh, is a legal term. In other words, it legally happens. But it doesn't have what this word has. This word uh, ha ha has the idea of, of, of affection, passion, and voluntarily offering oneself to one person. In other words, attaching to you because I want to, not because I have to. See, see, that's what's needed in her life, but she doesn't know that everything that she's looking for in this man, God has already given to her. Why? Because, because, because she's looking to be seen. God sees her. She looks to be heard. But God, now let me tell you something. Now that may not sound like enough, but women, if y'all are heard, that's how y'all feel loved. Oh, I'm going to see if I can make it plain. I'm talking to my wife, and I'm maybe not paying attention as much as I should. I got one eye on something else and one eye on her. What did I just say? I mean, you know, girl, you know what you said, girl. 
<laughs> then I give her I give her like some type of piece. I say, now I heard this piece, this piece, and I put that piece together and I try to give it to her. And I say, see, I was listening to you. She said, I know you weren't listening. You got it that time, but you really weren't listening to me. But it's something about being hurt. I don't know what it is in the nature of how God made a woman. She, she want to hear and she want to talk that thing out with some tissues and some tea and, and just talk that thing out. And then you, you feel like you've paid all the bills afterwards. You've, you feel like you've done everything in the world for it just because you lended an ear. But it's interesting that even though Leah's husband isn't listening to her, that the living God is listening to her. And the greatest ear that will always be open is him. You don't have to get a busy signal when he calls you. He don't have to say, hold on, let me go to the other line. Listen, God is committed to see her he's committed to hearing her and he's committed to attaching himself to you it's a God is the only one that's not gonna scroll through your page to learn about you he already knows you and he's not gonna he's not gonna push a like button or, or, or push or add a friend to relationship because of what he sees or he wants to open up and get to know you a little more that's why some people say they want to be friends with you but here God is comprehensively committed to her and she doesn't even know it. But then she gets to a different point. They said, so I'm going to try this one more again. The Bible says, and she conceived again and gave birth to a son. Then it says, this time, you got me last time, but this time I'm going to praise the Lord. Because Judah means he will be praised. In other words, you have to get to a point in your life, ladies, where God is enough. You, you, you have to get to a point where you know that no matter who rejected you, God has chosen you. And I'm not going to spend my life trying to get from people what I've already gotten from God, what I'm ready to experience from God, and what God is already ready to give to me. Some of y'all have been rejected. Some of y'all have been frustrated. And many of your tears are rooted in rejection and wanting what other people won't give you. But one day you're going to have to learn that God loves you for who you are and where you are. He's seen your worst you. He's seen the parts of your testimony that you told nobody about. But guess what he said? It said, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By demonstrating his own love, he demonstrates his love while he sees your mess, not after he cleans up your mess. He loved you before you were saved. He loved you before you were clean. He loved you before you were walking with him. He loved you before you were praying. He loved you before you were in the word. He's always loved you. As a matter of fact, he was in love with you before you existed because my Bible says, before I formed you in the womb. Said, I knew you. Not the good you, all of you. See, y'all don't know when to shout because some of y'all don't remember the old you. The old messy you. The old trifling you. The old left field you. Go back and get that memory real quick and look at it and say, God love that? Hallelujah. I praise the Lord. Huh, I'm done. It's interesting though that while she was paying attention to Jacob she didn't know 
what God was birthing through her. And she didn't know what God was up through and what God was working and how God was nurturing because she didn't know that in the midst of her trying to get love from her husband, it says, because Jacob, listen, Rachel got Jacob's love, but Leah got God's favor. Rachel got Jacob's attention, but Leah got God's promises. Rachel received Jacob's prioritization, but Leah got his purpose. How do I know, preacher? How, how in the world do I know that she got his purpose? Well, well, well she, had, she, she had several sons. She had Reuben. She had Simeon. She had Levi. And she had Judah. Oh, let's just pick two of them. Levi. Judah. Judah. Levi. What do we have here? We have two covenants in her womb. We have the old covenant, the old law that was going to come through Levi's child, Moses. She didn't know in the midst of her trying to get identity out of Jacob that her son Levi was going to have some children and one of them was going to be Moses. Listen, and she didn't know she had sea parters in her womb. She didn't know she had people that could bring water out of rocks. She didn't know that she had somebody in her womb that can turn water to blood. She didn't know that he can hold up a staff and fights can be won. Battles could be won. Lives could be changed. All because she has stuff in her womb. But as good as Levi and Moses was, that was just the appetizer. That was the spring rolls and the hot wings. But over here, we got Judah. And I heard a lion started growling from the line of Judah. There's one that was going to hunt through her line that was going to be greater than Levi, that was going to be greater than Moses. But he'd be the greatest of all times, and his name is Jesus. From this one, he turned water to wine. From this one, he cast out demons. From this one, he raised the sick and raised the dead. From this one, they killed them on Friday. They hung them high and they stretched them wide. And he dropped his head in the locks of his shoulder. It was quiet Friday. It was quiet Saturday. But on Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus is the most rejected in the universe and at the same time, the most chosen. Y'all missed that. Humans rejected him. His family rejected him. Matter of fact, they tried to bring a psychiatrist while he was healing to give him some counseling. But he said, my mother and father are those who do the will of the father. So he was rejected by the leaders, he was rejected by the government, but he was chosen by God. Ladies, you must recognize that Jesus understands rejection more than anybody. Yet he didn't live his life for the rejected, rejection of the rejected. The Bible says he despised it. He despised the shame of the cross. And he lived his life in light of God's commitment to him. 
I'm going to read this and then I'm done. Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he hid as it were, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath bore our griefs, carried away our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. He's rejected yet chosen, the greatest in the universe. Everybody head bow, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today. And you've never placed your confidence in Jesus. The greatest of all times. Jesus Christ loves to embrace the rejected. The Bible says he can empathize with what we've gone through because he's been through it. He's been through rejection. He's been through not being loved to this day. But God in Christ, he holds his arms open to embrace you so that you'll never be rejected by God. If you don't know him now, guess what? You're rejected. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.